Welcome to Talkin' Truth with comedian Dan Whitney, a.k.a. Larry the Cable Guy, and Pastor Brian Clark. Today, Dan's wife, author Kara Whitney, joins them. She manipulated me into marrying her. Oh, is that how that that happened? Yeah. You know how I did that? A bowl of ice cream. (laughs) They'll be talking truth about the Bible and life and having a little fun. Get her done. Now, here's Dan. Hey, everybody. How are you? This is Talking Truth, and I am one of your hosts, Dan Whitney. A lot of people know me as Larry the Cable Guy, very multi-talented voiceover artist, actor, model. For I used to model the Solo Flex commercial ads back in the day. A lot of people don't remember that. I'm here with the famed Brian Clark, and this is our show, Talking Truth. And we are on Season 5. It's called Unwavering Faith. And we are going back into Genesis, correct, Brian? That is correct. And a lot of people think that, oh, the Old Testament's the Old Testament. We don't need the Old Testament, but the Old Testament is just as important as the New Testament. Am I correct on that? Absolutely. And anyway, we love doing these shows. We hope everybody gets good stuff out of it. I'm enjoying my guest this week for the next three episodes is my awesome bride, Kara. Hello. Kara has written four books, Mm -hmm. which I still can't get over (laughs) because she's writing books. Anyway, so she's our guest, and hope you enjoy the podcast. Brian will give us a little message, and then Kara and I will uh, talk to Brian about it. And you guys uh, listen along, and I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. So faith is one of those subjects that we like to talk about but it's really hard to figure out what it looks like in everyday life. I mean, when do I step out by faith? When am I supposed to wait for God? What's God's part? What's my part? Are my decisions controlled more by fear or by faith? Well, in this season of Genesis, we're going to wrestle with these questions as we look at the life of Isaac and mostly Jacob. Our prayer is that wherever you find yourself right now, these podcasts will help you grow as a person of faith. We pick up the story in Genesis 25. Abraham has died. The text tells us that he died in a ripe old age, an old man and satisfied with life. Isn't that what everyone wants, to get to the end of our lives and be satisfied? So how did that happen with Abraham? Well, the answer, by faith. Now the story turns to Isaac, the son of promise. The seed of the promised Savior would flow through Isaac to his son and so forth all the way to Jesus. If you recall, Abraham and Sarah had to wait for 25 years before Sarah finally got pregnant and had Isaac. God wanted to make sure that the people knew this was the promised son, a gift from God. So he waited until Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90 years old before Isaac was born. Isaac was 40 when he married Rebekah. Isaac must have known he was the special son promised by God. He must have known that the seed would travel through him to his son. So Isaac and Rebekah, they waited for a son. And they waited. They waited for 20 years before Rebekah became pregnant. Again, God wanted to make sure Isaac and Rebekah knew this was a special child, a gift from God. How hard that must have been to wait. They knew God had promised, but 20 years is a long time to wait and to wonder. 
Once again, faith means trusting God even when things don't make sense. As it turned out, Rebecca was pregnant with twins, two boys, one named Esau and the other named Jacob. God tells Rebekah that Jacob will be the son of promise, even though Esau was born first. The birthright typically went to the oldest son. Not only would this son receive two-thirds of the inheritance, he would be responsible to be the spiritual patriarch of the family. It wasn't just about getting lots of stuff. It was about taking responsibility for the family. Esau was described as a wild man. He lived on his own in the wilderness by hunting and surviving any way he could. We would say he had no real social skills, and he just lived for himself. Jacob, on the other hand, is presented as a man of integrity who lived among his family. There's no question the text presents Jacob in a much more favorable light than Esau. This chapter records the familiar story where Esau sold his birthright to Jacob. However, I think the story is often misunderstood. Esau came in from the wilderness, and Jacob was cooking stew. Esau is famished and is presented in very unfavorable terms. He literally says to Jacob, Give me some of that red stuff that I might gulp it. That statement is meant to sound rough and crude. Then we are told he ate, drank, rose, and went. Four verbs. In the ancient Near East, eating was a very social activity. It was a time when people came together to enjoy community. The picture painted of Esau was that he could have cared less about anyone else. He ate, he drank, he rose, and he went. We are also told that Esau despised his birthright. Despised meant that it was of no value to him. He just didn't care. He had no interest in assuming the role of family patriarch and taking care of the others. He only cared about himself. We're told that Jacob offered Esau some stew in exchange for the birthright. Was this the right thing for Jacob to do? No, I don't think so. Jacob should have simply fed his brother and trusted God to work out the whole birthright thing. God had said it would go to Jacob. Jacob needed to trust God with that. However, I would also say I believe Jacob's heart was in the right place. His intentions were good. He knew Esau would not lead the family well and would only look out for himself. Jacob wanted the role of caring for his family as the patriarch. He just needed to trust God instead of trying to manipulate the situation himself. Jacob would struggle most of his life trying to understand what it really meant to trust God by faith. He wasn't trying to be bad or to mess things up. He was simply more likely to be controlled by his fear rather than his faith. The Bible is filled with stories of people who struggled to trust God. Many of them ended up in the Faith Hall of Fame, but it wasn't easy. They all had times of failure along the way. Fear is real and it's powerful. When our fear is greater than our faith, we make a mess of things. We may be well-intended. We're trying to do the right thing, but our fears get the best of us. Our hope is that this study of Genesis will help grow our faith so that in time, our faith will become stronger than our fears. To get to the end of our lives and be satisfied, we must learn to trust God.
and have the courage to walk by faith, not by fear. This is not an easy journey. So let's bring in Dan and Kara. Let's talk about this. Brian, this is like a different, I don't know, I feel like my eyes are opened looking at Jacob differently and Esau differently because, A, I always felt like Esau was tricked and Jacob was more of a swindler, like a heel grabber in that he lived his life sort of, you know, working the system a little bit, like taking what he wanted, swindling his way through. But this is different. I think it's different. Jacob is a deceiver. He's a liar. He's a manipulator. And that will define him through most of his life. But I do think in this case, his motives were good. I think he was wanting to assume the role of patriarch of the family to care for the family. I I think the text presents Esau in very kind of rough, unfavorable terms. The idea of Jacob as a deceiver is, is correct because of his fear and his unwillingness to trust God. But I do think in this particular story, his intent, his motives probably were admirable. It's just his methodology, his approach was more than questionable. It makes me relate to him even more because I feel like that's how I probably was living my life before I met Jesus, where I was, well, out for self, definitely, but self-preservation. So you're sort of the means to an end, right? You're trying to going through and would say helping God out as opposed to just trusting him? Yeah. She manipulated me into marrying her. Oh, is that how that that happened? that was, yeah. You know how I did that? A bowl of ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I don't have any stew, but I have some ice cream. (laughs) I sold my birthright for Mm -hmm. moon pies. You know what's funny, though? We have bug juice at the house, Mm -hmm. and I actually did say, give me some of that red stuff so I can gulp it. (laughs) (laughs) The bug juice. Anybody who has kids under five knows what bug juice is. (laughs) You know, it's, it's when it says that Abraham lived a long life and everybody wants that. Well, you can see why he did, because when you have that amazing faith, I mean, we know physically that stress shortens people's lives. Stress is bad on bodies. So you can see how Abraham's faith had just eliminated a lot of that stress, and he was just so much healthier. Yeah, but like a satisfied life, I would say I have that since meeting Jesus and following him, because I can say, well, I trust God. No matter what happens, I trust God. I don't have to like it. I just, I trust what he's doing. I would say before that, I was unsatisfied, which is why I was seeking Jesus out, because I had what the world would say would make you satisfied, money. I was in a great relationship kids, the whole thing, was not satisfying as you think it might be. There was a piece missing, right? So what do you think, Brian, that it means to live a satisfied life? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting word. I know uh, someone, an elderly gentleman, a godly man in our church, as a result of this text, put it on his headstone, uh, satisfied with life. Mm Mm-hmm. So to get to the end of your story and be clear about what matters and what you lived for and to realize at the end of your life, you're content that, that you live for the right things and you're ready to go to, 
to be with Jesus. There's something really powerful about that. It isn't about money or fame or stuff or power or position. It isn't about any of that stuff. So it's available to anybody. Uh, any of our listeners can ultimately live for what matters and and get to the end of the li- their lives and be satisfied. I would just think that accepting Christ in your heart and just trying to live for him and staying engaged, and you just do that, I think that's satisfying. Yeah. That's a satisfied life. I mean, Kara was talking about it. I mean, we still know thousands of people through the entertainment business and what we did. You know, they have all these things, but they're always searching for something else because they're not satisfied. And it just goes to show you that there's a hole in people's heart that God puts there so that, you know, you can fill it with him. And they try everything but that. They try everything but that, and they're never satisfied. But the ones that found Jesus, you can tell. They're just completely satisfied now. I just think that that's a satisfied life. You found Christ, and you're doing your best to be sanctified every day and try and be more and more like him every day. He tells you you're going to mess up. He tells you you're going to fall down. You're going to get back up. You're going to fall down. You're going to get back up. He's with you. His grace is with you. As long as you know that and you have faith in that, man, that's living a pretty satisfied life, I think. One one of the things that's interesting to think about is so God made the offer to Abraham to leave his homeland and go to this land of promise. But when Abraham died, he didn't possess one square inch of that land. He had to purchase a little piece of ground for Sarah to be buried in the land. So really nothing that God promised had come to pass. That's what Hebrews 11 says about him. He he believed that God would keep his promise, but to die satisfied, but having to believe by faith that God would Eventually. keep his promise and it, it would ultimately be worth it. I mean, it's, a, it's an amazing statement when you think about it. I think amazing, too, in that I can read the Bible, and this is why Scripture is so important, one of many, many reasons, but you learn the character of God through Scripture— and through your personal experiences in that relationship with him, I know he, fall, he he comes through every time. I see these people in the Bible, they're exceptionally flawed, like myself, and God still is looking out for them and bringing them through, right? But then these guys, they didn't have that track record, per se, that, that we have. They didn't have the Bible to, to you know, resource. For someone listening, though, that is in Scripture, and they're— they're going to church. They're they're doing what they feel they need to do to try to to spiritually feed themselves, but they still feel like they're not growing in faith. What would be your advice to help them grow in faith? So that's a great question. So time time in the Word right. is critical. So if if I was going to use kind of a imagery, if you think about if I only use the experiences in my own life where God has shown himself faithful, and I learn from that and grow in my faith. That's a real shallow well to dip my bucket into. But as other people around me share their testimonies, their stories, that's why the Psalms encourage us to, to tell our stories. Mm-hmm. 
then I think the well gets deeper because we see God's faithfulness in other people and other people's lives and circumstances. Then you go to Scripture and you have this, this tremendous wealth of stories that remind us of God's faithfulness for thousands of years. So now my well has gotten really deep where the more I'm aware of that, the more I see God's faithfulness, the more I choose to believe that, then the deeper my well gets and the stronger I think my, my faith becomes. I think for a lot of Christians, if they're only looking at their own life and their own story as a way to deepen their faith, it's, it's pretty limited. The whole COVID thing is a good example of being provided for in all the physical ways I could have been provided for. And yet I found myself isolated, maybe from other believers, in exactly what you're talking about, other people in their experiences and just that community. Yeah, isolation's a killer. Yeah. So in community, and then paying attention, listening, asking questions, talking to people, going through hard times, and experiencing God's faithfulness should continue to, to grow our faith and our willingness to trust God. So I think you have to think of it that way. And then ultimately, it's it's my story. It's the stories of people around me. It, it's the Bible full of these stories that reflect the faithfulness of God that build up a faith in me that convinces me I can trust this God. Right. He's got a long track record of faithfulness. But I, I just my experience over the years is a lot of Christians get stuck in their own story. Right. And that's a pretty shallow well. So when the bottom drops out of your world tomorrow, I need to be ready for that. Well, and I think that's what's so awesome about the Bible, whether it be the New Testament or the Old Testament, that God has chosen very flawed people, just like us. He never picked every somebody, oh, he's perfect, let me put him in there, and he's perfect. Almost everybody in the Bible, almost all these stories are just normal, regular, if not kind of goofy people, you know? I mean, you can go just anywhere in the Bible, and you're not the first one this has happened to. You're not alone. And all of their stories, like you're saying, we learn from other people's stories. It's not just about you. There's other people's stories, too. Well, there they are. These are some of the other people's stories. These are just the the early ones. And so I think that's very comforting. I think that's very awesome that he picked flawed people. Yeah, and you started the podcast talking about the importance of the Old Testament. Absolutely. And that's what we're talking about here is God has a long track record of faithfulness to his people. Absolutely. Is our fear then a lack of faith? I think there is a conflict between fear and faith. So it's a it's a process of growth, but I think it's helpful to see it that way. When I'm fearful, I'm not really trusting God. Well, you know, I think I'm guilty of this, just like everybody else is. But I think that if we spent as much time in God's Word as we did checking our cell phones, I think our faith would grow abundantly. The devil puts all of these speed bumps in front of everybody because he doesn't want them to have an amazing faith and to live comfortably and, and stress-free. And, you know, he doesn't want yeah. you to have that kind of faith. So I think that if people just put forth an effort to try and do their best, 
to stay in the Word as much as they possibly could, more so than looking at stupid articles that mean nothing to your life at all except misery and pain and, you know, I think that would really help. It's like, you know, I've used this example before, and I know it's a goofy example. It's when I always talk about that movie with Rowdy Rowdy Piper, They Live. You know, he found the glasses and he could see who was an alien. I know I've used this before, but it's so true. The Bible are your goggles for life. And when you wonder, what is going on? How come I can't? The more you sharpen the goggles, the more you read and investigate and tune those goggles in, the more you see and the more you can walk in the light. I think the comparison to the cell phone, I never thought about that before, but that is extremely powerful when you think how many times a day— we're reaching for that phone. Absolutely. And if we reached for the truth of the Word of God, even though we're not opening a Bible, if we have it in our head, right, and we're accessing that truth all through the day, mm-hmm. think how powerful that would be. Absolutely. You know, when everybody goes to bed, I always do my Bible stuff at night when everybody goes to bed. I'll re- you know, I do, I've got a David Jeremiah study Bible, and I do a chapter a night in a, in a, going through the entire book of the Bible. But some nights I'll sit there, oh, man, I just don't want to read this. You know, I just, man, I'm sick of reading stuff, you know. And then I'll go, I'll just do it in the morning. And what do I do? I pick up my phone. <laughs> I pick up my phone and I start looking at stuff. It's yeah. like, well, why didn't I just do the other thing? Yeah, we all do that. Yeah, absolutely. So that's the thing. You want more faith? Then you got to spend time in God's Word. And you have to not just read it. But take it in, digest it, put it in your body. You can't just read it. It's like the people go, I read the Bible 50 times and I didn't get nothing out of it. Well, it's because you just read it to read it. Read it to learn it. You have to be engaged and you have to really digest it. And your faith will start to grow the more time you spend with God. Your faith will definitely be strengthened. Thanks for listening to Talk and Truth. Dan, Brian, and Kara will be back again next week, so don't forget to subscribe. And be sure to visit us at talkandtruth.com. That's talk, the letter N, truth.com.